covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us today. I'll tell you right off the bat, pretty much our entire podcast is a uh, conversation with uh, Brew Crew Ball's Brad Ford. There's not a whole lot more to say than we that we haven't said over the course of the last couple weeks. The World Series matchup is set. The Dodgers came back from a 3-1 deficit to uh, knock off the Braves, and uh, they win that series, obviously, in seven. Uh, the Rays were able to beat the Astros, so uh, the World Series matchup, Dodgers against the Rays, two really good teams during the regular season and two teams that have been able to uh, – a little, little bit of adversity in the postseason, probably a little bit more for the Dodgers than the Rays, but nonetheless, uh, they're each able to win their respective Game 7s, and that's your uh, that's your World Series matchup. As always, housekeeping items, if you want to uh, get in contact with me, best way to do so, at Twitter, on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. If you listen to the podcast, the Apple Podcast, and can leave a ranking and review and subscribe to the podcast, that would be awesome. Uh, this is what we're doing this week. It's a little bit different. I mean, we're still not ready to kind of really break into the off-season mode, what they need to do, who should be back, who should not be back. Well, we got lots of time to get there. Uh, I've got, at the end of each season, we generally bring on Brad Ford to do like a full minor league recap. Well, there is no minor league season this year. But I wanted to have Brad on to discuss the implications of not having a minor league season and the potential implications of not having another minor league season if something happens next year where there is not one again. So that's kind of the podcast this week, conversation with Brad Ford. So let's get to it. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. Very happy to welcome back on to the podcast. He is one of the most uh, often heard guests here on the podcast. You can read him at uh, Brew Crew Ball. He's also part of the uh, Milwaukee Tailgate podcast. He is Brad Ford. Follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Hi, Brad. Well, hello, Matt. Welcome back to my show, basically. Yeah. That's, I've just been I, I just on the weeks you're not on I'm just keeping it going more just just <laughs> counting down to when you are going to be back on again no just, I mean the real dream is we just turn the show into the the Brad and Matt show well, the Matt and Brad show I'll give you top billing I think you are the much more deserving professional but you know get it really where we're both in the name you get a, a back-to-back and a nice picture I think that's the end goal I don't. Uh, I hope none of the other like very common guests. I hope they don't hear what I'm about to say, and feel jealous. But I can say that like when I when we uh, when we connect, where we do these interviews over Skype, um, we we generally talk for 15, 20 minutes before we even start recording. And for most of my other guests, it's probably like a a two three minute conversation before we start recording. So there is more interaction non-broadcast interaction between us two well it's probably because none of them have gone out of their way to meet the legend in person have uh (laughs) brewer nation walk them up to the booth drag you out be like so this is matt Pauly, and now you know we have that forever connection where i sought you out 
Yeah, so of the people that we have on here, I mean, you know what? I've met a lot of, uh, obviously you, Kyle, Adam, Kyle Loebner I've met, uh, most of the broadcasters I've, I've met, that I, the minor league broadcasters, I'm trying to think. But then, yeah, so there's a fair amount that I've met. Man, this is throwing my theory right out the window. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you, um, you may have been the first one other than Adam who was, in, who was in the press box at the time, who I'd see a lot. But this year, there was nobody to see in the press box because there was very few people. There was like, there was like five of us who were – it was – of people who covered every single home game this year, I bet it was only Hodricourt, Rosiak, McAlvey, Salmon, and me. I, I that's five people. I, I can't say for sure. I'm not trying to like not because I wasn't even in like the press area where all those guys sat. I was in a different room, so I can't say for sure. But I would bet that us five were probably the only media members that were at every Brewers home game this year. That's, I don't know, it's, that's a little sad now, like, thinking about it, right? It's (laughs) really sad. That place is normally packed. Yeah. Again, I'm, nobody needs to feel bad for me. I've got an awesome job, and I get to watch baseball and talk about baseball. So if this comes across as me, like, really complaining, I'm not really complaining, but... Like one of the one of the big bummer moments for me this year was when Fox Sports Wisconsin decided that when the Brewers were at home, the studio pre and post game show was not going to be at Miller Park. It was going to be in their studios. So at that point, I, I didn't see Jerry Augustine after like the first week of the season. I didn't see uh, Craig Kashan at all. Like these are guys I do the post game show with that I'm friends with. It was yeah you know, as. Baseball is a really weird thing where you're you're friends with people and then you don't see them for half a year and then the baseball season starts and you see them every day and it's awesome and it was like I never get to see my friends this year and it was it was not as much fun as it generally is. Right, and it's I would argue to support your initial point that's not you complaining about your job that's you complaining about the repercussions of the pandemic. Yes, but. Now it's very jarring to watch a playoff game and see people in the crowd. (laughs) It. It, I know they're doing social distancing. I'm, I'm not saying they're not doing it well or any of that because I'm not there. I don't know. I really haven't seen any analysis of it. It's just weird when like the mentality – when you watch a 60 games of no one being in the crowd and the mentality has been being together is dangerous to then see a bunch of people in the crowd, you're like, whoa. So here's something funny. So I was listening to the Packers game today. I do some Packers stuff. Um, at the at the station at WTMJ, uh, I do like a, a halftime show on Facebook Live for Packers games. And now that the Brewers season is over, I'm back into that. So when I'm watching the game in the WTMJ studios, I'm I've got the radio audio up, and then I then the TV is on mute. And so th- they don't line up either. So like I hear stuff happen first on radio, and then I see it happen on on TV. And and thankfully my brain works in a way where I can actually comprehend all of that. Uh, but I say all that to say this: so there were fans at the Packers Buccaneers game, and what was jarring to me was how bad the crowd noise was because when there's not fans, fake crowd noise is pumped in to the broadcast. Well, there were fans, so I don't think they did the fake crowd noise, and I thought the crowd noise sounded horrendous. <laughs> it, 
there was a point where like the fans half-heartedly were chaining defense <laughs> and like that's when i first noticed it and i was like come on man you didn't have to use a real recording of the tampa bay crowd and then like i finally saw people were in the stands and i'm like oh that's just like 300 people in a stadium chanting right <laughs> Like they they should still pump in noise. Quite honestly, like from a from a radio broadcast standpoint, it would be better just to pump in some fake noise, even when there's eight thousand people. And you know, it's Florida. There's probably more than eight thousand people there. But you get the point that I'm trying to make. Versus the giving the Miami Marlins feel yeah. of one person cheering in the background, and you can hear every word they say crystal clear. Yes, which at times can be. I used to do – it would be funny, you know, back when I was broadcasting minor league baseball, it was a very common thing to be doing games with 17 people in the stands for whatever reason. And going back and listening to some of my tapes, sometimes the things that you would hear from the crowd when there were so few people, it would be pretty funny, some of the things that would actually go across the air. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine that's uh, some interesting open mic moments. Yes. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking about what I've heard from listening to the broadcast myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it sneaks crazy stuff sneaks through even in uh, in in full stadiums. So when there's less people, it's even uh, it's it's I, even more pronounced. I also try to be the guy who always shouts something that if you heard it over a microphone, it would be like a moment that made you take pause and like go like what did that guy just say so one of my favorites has always been we want a pitcher not you <laughs> and like just to see the reaction around me is always fun and then uh, the imagination of if that got heard uh, over mike what the pre people at home must be thinking who heard that like what <laughs> that's not how that goes uh, or like uh, heckling Brandon Phillips when he was with the Reds. Okay. Uh, and Brandon Phillips is one of my favorite non-Brewer players. I really like him. I like how he plays, etc. So I like I would be like, Hey, Brandon Phillips, your Twitter presence is real nice. You interact with fans well, and just scream stuff like that at him. Um, <laughs> would you yell that at Trevor Bauer? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I would not. It's true. Um. Uh, I would not yell at someone that polarizing. Okay, that's uh, fair. Phillips was like clean baseball. I know how to manage myself in a PR uh, way. Uh, I would yell meaner things at Brandon or at Trevor Bauer probably. Uh, <laughs> because a lot of Brewer fans want him, and I don't think I, I think there's like a two percent chance of it happening. But a lot of Brewer fans would love to see him in Milwaukee. I don't know. He does the fiscal thing the way the Brewers front office likes it, right? He yeah. has. He wants to do. He said once he finishes this contract, he wants to do one year, one year, one year, one year. And so, he likes the city of Milwaukee. That he does. Yeah. The thing I really appreciate about Trevor Bauer is, I like people who are willing to look at the world differently, or at least not just accept. Well, this is the way it's always been done, so it's going to continue. Like anything that he's ever been taught, anything that he's ever been told, he wants to get into the why, and he's going to really get into that. And I appreciate that about them. Now, some of the uh, some of the antics that he pulls, even on field, I'm not a fan of, but I am a fan of the way he kind of approaches just life, you know. And there was a HBO's Real Sports had a profile on him, probably like maybe two, three months ago, that was really, really good.
there's no doubting that he's an incredibly intelligent mind. Yeah. He, he, like, you look at the way he analyzes her, goes into analysis, and the way he, like, it actually seeks out to understand stats. There's no doubting that, like, this guy, the, the way he goes about what he does, especially for his job, is practiced with absolute forethought and into going in why he and why he does that um so when you're looking at what he is in terms of the intelligence aspect and that i think that he absolutely does have admirable qualities in that way that's why i say polarizing i don't necessarily dislike the guy i just think he has some traits or things that have come out that it makes it hard for me to view him favorably. When he was pitching for Reno when I was doing AAA baseball, I remember the first time I ever saw him do his pregame routine of where he would start with short throws and then he would eventually throw basically from one foul pole to the other. And to get the ball back, there would have to be like a cutoff guy in the middle to get it back. And it's the most incredible thing that you see. And then it's like, this guy's pitching in 35 minutes and he's throwing the ball from one foul pole to another. It was insane. Yeah, he, uh, I think <laughs> you understood his arm strength when you watched him huck a ball over the center field yeah. wall from the mound, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. That When I saw that, I was like, yeah, he, he could have probably thrown it further. I've seen him do it. Yeah, he is sensationally talented and strong. There's a lot of – when you're talking about Trevor Bauer, the pitcher – I think a lot to like about the talent, the profile, the thought process and everything that goes into that. All right, let's talk a little bit about the Brewers and people should know I'm really having you on because uh, look, nothing new has happened in like the last three weeks. So we can't break anything down. But what we can do is I I wanted to talk to you. We always do kind of an end of season minor league recap and we can't do that this year because there was no minor league season. Um, And that's sad. But I, I wanted to get in. I wanted to talk to you kind of about the ramifications of that. And look, there's no guarantee based off some of the stuff I read this past week. There's no guarantee there's going to be a minor league season next week. So we're going to get into that in a moment. First off, just very quickly, uh, I've kind of been asking this to to everybody. Do you? And I know it's it's a mix of the two, but I'm I'm kind of asking you which side you more gravitate towards. Do you view this past season as a success in the sense that the Brewers were a playoff team, or do you view the team the season as a failure in the sense that they were a sub five hundred team? Hmm. I've answered this question a lot since the end of the season. I would still favor success because the reason the playoffs were expanded in my mind were to make up for the lack of regression to the mean that the shorter season provided right like you 162 game season gives you the opportunity to let things kind of settle into the norm and get the results that are true to the team's talent and performance and capability when you have a 60 game season and you don't have the time to really rely on that to kind of fix itself out Along with that, you're also dealing with odds and ends, like playing the same four teams a significant amount, playing uh, a pretty strong AL Central, 
and a lot of variables that are hard to consider. So I think getting into the playoffs this season, despite it being expanded, despite them having a sub 500 record, it's still a success to the season. The where I have issues saying that the season was a success is I don't think David Stern's plan worked. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at an offense that was constructed, obviously, to take advantage of platoon splits with a three batter minimum. And you have a lot of players who signed one year deals, uh, one year in an option, and really only one works out offensively. And that is Jed Jerko. I, I think Eric Sogard had bright moments that helped the team. He would probably be the second of that list who worked out. Which Other says that, a lot because he had a bad season. When the when yeah. number two on that list is a guy who had a bad season, that says a lot. And a majority of them ended up not even making it to the end of the year. Yep. So you're looking at a, a team that had a plan going in that was going to lead them to success and ended up not being able to achieve that. I'm Part of that is because you have significant underperformances that are I think unfair to hold against the administration side of the team. If you want to hold it against the coaching team, there's arguments that it isn't, but I, I can at least justify it. I can understand why you're going there. If you're arguing that, but Christian Yelich having a bad season, I do not think can be held against David Stearns in his front office. Kristen Hera having a bad season, maybe can because there were some factors that predicted it. But really, as we we saw that he really just struggled with a high fastball. Omar Narvaez, historically, should have been fine. He wasn't. Avi Garcia, historically, should have performed well above the levels that he did. He didn't. We were hoping to get a 30 home run super Avi. But even if you look back at what he has done year in, year out, he did not achieve those levels this season. So it, at the same time, you want to hold, say, hey, your plan didn't work out. You put together a, a underperforming team. There are also underperformers, a lot of underperformers in a way that you couldn't predict it. And then I think Lorenzo Cain opting out after six games not only takes an impact bat out of the offense, but affects the team in ways that we can't comprehend or measure. I would agree with just about everything you said. And I still, of every decision that is to be made, I'm probably most interested in the Narvaez decision because it's one where common sense tells you what he did this year is not what he's ever going to do again, that he's going to bounce back. So do you do you buy in on the bounce back and bring him back and, and bring him back with the idea that he's going to play a lot? And then if he doesn't bounce back, if he's a 200 hitter again, everybody's saying, well, hey, it was a 200 hitter last year. What were you expecting? Or the exact opposite where you non-tender him, he goes to another team, signs up, you know, signs for three, four million dollars probably somewhere, maybe more than that, but I don't know. Um, but anyways, he goes and hits, you know, 270 with 20 home runs and 80 RBIs. And it's like, well, of course he was going to do that. That's what he's done historically it was just a, it was a weird pandemic year so of all the decisions david stearns has to make i think the one that i uh am, am most glad that i'm not the person making the decision is the narvaez decision yeah i think if we look at the history of david stearns decision making you're looking at a catcher who especially with the poor performance is going back to arbitration is probably not going to really advance what he makes much they might be able to sign him to a one-year deal with an option that really even controls the cost even more, kind of what they did with Ben Gamble. 
And then he also is a player with three ML or minor league options still. So when you're looking at like his history, I think the decision is, especially when we're looking at a 26 man roster next year, you have to have the 13, 13 divide. You are almost definitely going to keep extra catchers is the presumption. I don't know if the brewers are always going to be in that camp, but most managers will favor keeping an extra catcher. I think it's easier to justify having Omar Narvaez there with Jacob Nottingham and uh, Manny Pena to kind of serve as buffers to protect him in case that would or were to happen and he were to have issues. So based on his history, I I think it's an maybe an easy decision because I think you just had to wash a lot of the season off as it's a stupid 60 game season and a lot was ruined. You have a clubhouse that I think feeds off a ton of energy and based on social distancing protocols and one of their, the people who energized them leaving the clubhouse, uh, they weren't really able to feed off each other and get excited and get ready for games or without fans too. So I, I it, those are my thoughts on it. I think he's an easy yes to bring back because you just got to look at the track record. I mean, he definitely performed best in 2019 compared to what he's done year in, year out, but he still has a good offensive track record. That's pretty favorable to a, a catcher specifically. And that does not align with the player he was offensively this season. You think it's an easier decision than I do. I, I tend to agree yeah. with you. If I, if I was the one making the decision, I probably would be bringing him back, but I would be bringing him back with, I think, more pause than you're bringing him back. Yeah. I just think when you look at the things that David Stearns considers important, and I'm trying to think is him, which is the hardest thing to do because for all we know, he's going to swerve and trade Omar Narvaez for next to nothing and get JT Real Mudo on a one-year deal as he tries to wait for his ex- long-term extension as the market resets because we're in a stupid COVID offseason and all the teams and owners are going to be crying poor. Yeah, I, if I was a free agent this year, I would certainly be looking at one-year deals and just see what happens later. Uh, and again, it, so earlier David Stearns had said, like he, he basically admitted uh, that the moves that he made didn't work. So if he makes those comments and you're going into a normal offseason – my inclination is to say, okay, he's he's admitting that what he did last year didn't work, so he's going to do something different, and that probably means some pretty major changes and, and acquisitions in the offseason. But because it is a COVID offseason, I have no clue what this offseason is going to look like where we're talking about the team trying to improve the lineup in major ways while also probably attempting to reduce payroll. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting offseason yeah. for sure because of those factors. You're going to have a lot of teams who claim to suffer significant losses. And I think the hard part is we really don't know what that looks like because the Brewer, like the Brewers alone did things to kind of make up for some of the loss. Uh, I know that they laid off uh, some of the more day-to-day staff like ticket sales uh, and some store service workers, uh, you know, people like gatekeepers obviously weren't being paid. So you're already making up some of those losses just by people not working. Then you have additional advertisements that you're putting out and uh, across the stadium. 
that weren't available for purchase beforehand. So suddenly you're adding in this additional purchase for advertisement opportunities where you're putting a little ad on the mound and then you have one superimposed on the stair. We really don't know what the true loss is going to be no matter what they say or whatever anyone else estimates because they're only going to be able to estimate it on the data we have. And the data we have is only based on a normal season where they're not trying to, where they're laying off people uh, this season and getting additional means of income. So they're going to cry poor. They're going to leverage that situation. And that's going to make it difficult to make any money. And it's going to be more difficult for a free agent than it was the year Yasmani signed his one-year deal, which is why he ended up signing the one-year deal because the market was against him. Yep. So I think one-year deals are going to be in a pretty big flux this year and pretty common among most of the players because the hope is I can get better money later. I think there will still be room for I don't really think there's any superstars, but anyone anyone considers a superstar uh, to make money because teams will always pay to have top tier talent. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's and that level B. It's the le- it's the all-star. Like, and a lot of times that that second level starts at like that everyday player who's maybe a one or uh, not not a every year all-star this year i think the the line is between if they're if they're like superstars quality players out there even versus guys who are all-star quality players like that all-star may not even get the the huge money this year right we're looking at like uh you know when you look at a guy dj lemayhew was had a fantastic season this year but i don't think anywhere in the league is he considered a superstar no is he getting paid for having the best season he's ever had no yeah it's so those are the guys who are really getting impacted yep uh your your jt real mudos are probably still getting a pretty good contract even if it only is for a year but then it's everyone else really i mean it is not a superstar driven year and i think a lot of players who were going to be on the market signed extensions kind of predicting that it was just safer to sign extensions and not have to deal with the market Uh, and that worked out well for them it did but to prove that people can still pay even after the pandemic started look what mookie got in his extension yeah i again and that that goes back to the the superstars will always get their money right always so, uh, I, Starling Marte might be another. George Springer is maybe the top offensive free agent. Yeah, I'm just looking through this list live. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a uh, bad year. Yeah, uh, like I like George Springer a lot. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying, but again, he's he's not Manny Machado. He's not Bryce Harper. He's not Steven Strasburg. He's not Garrett Cole. Like all these guys who have been free agents over the last couple of years, those guys are superstars. George Springer, DJ LeMahieu, they are not. Yeah. There's a bunch of the uh, type of starting pitchers that maybe Marcus Stroman is the superstar of the offseason. Eh. Yeah, there's none of your like $300, $200 million deal guys. Right. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get to why we we're 26 minutes in and we're getting to why we had you. <laughs> we said we'd be short. Yeah. And I said, don't test me, Matt. <laughs> We, Here we are. I, I wanted to talk to you about the, the 
just the impact of not having a minor league season this year because you are so locked into what goes on in the minor leagues and we know about the alternate training side and the the you know the the scrimmage type games that they were running there but that wasn't about there was a few guys that were there to develop but that wasn't about development for the most part that was that was a mechanism to have players available for the major league roster and i guess from a development standpoint it was a mechanism for the 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 players that you value so much that you don't want them to go a year without playing basically that you gave them a place to go but for the for the most part it was a it was a major league baseball holding ground what is the impact and not just for the brewers this is a major league baseball question what's the impact on major league baseball in not having a minor league season this year and not having the development that generally goes with a minor league season I think it's going to be really interesting to see. A year of stagnant, no play, really puts all the players on an even playing field. But is it going to... Some of the players played. We know we have the group of players that went to the alternate training site that you already mentioned. But also, a lot of players were allowed to go out and play in independent leagues if they were able to find that opportunity or if the team allowed them to go and get it. Or they created their own leagues to continue getting that playing time. We really don't know if that is going to have a positive impact on their progression as a player trying to make it to the major leagues. We think it should because when you look at the players who go and change their career in independent ball and then are able to come back, obviously independent ball is challenged enough to lead to progression. There's no doubt in that, that it's still a professional game. They're still working with people who normally have decent pro experience and can help really lead players in the next steps that they need, but it is no major league team when it comes to resources. There's no denying it. So I think best case scenario for those guys who weren't at the alternate training site is stagnate. You're looking for guys who can maintain if they were at double A in 2019 or going to be at 2019 or 2020 at AA, like a Mario Feliciano should be at double A this season if things are progressing normally. He... If he wasn't playing at the alternate training site, I think best case scenario for him is you come back and you're still able to play at double A. Right. Yeah. However, I think there's a decent chance that a lot of these players suffer from regression. When you're not playing competitive baseball, we know that those tools kind of rust. And it'll be interesting to see which players can break off the rust the quickest. We know when players who've reached double A get Tommy John surgery they generally pitch a couple games at rookie, a couple games at A, and maybe actually stay like a month at A+. They don't always go right back to double A when you're progressing through that. I think you mentally treat this as an injury season where you just hope everyone's at the same level. But now when you're looking at that, we're looking at additionally the impacts of players not progressing and the system set to give them the flexibility they need to get chances as a major league player. So things like the rule five draft, 
you now have a year less on every player in your system to get them into the rule five draft. And they had a year less of opportunity to develop and be major league ready. What long-term impact does that have when it comes to roster construction, minor league farm system development? You can't hide 30 players on your minor league and your minor league system on the 40 man. You can't. So obviously not all teams are going to be interested in those players, but you're still going to like the Brewers. When you look at their 40 man roster after their off season and they've acquired people, generally there's one or two floating spots and those one or two floating spots are protecting prospects. You don't want to lose. So you have to DFA those prospects in order to protect someone who might not even be at triple a at that point because of this pause. So the, I think while I want to give you a solid answer and what the effect of this has been, it's really hard to say what that is going to look like without seeing minor leagues take back up and actually start participating again. Uh, it seems like they have really opened the doors for a lot of players to go to fall instructs. Mm-hmm. So you're at least getting more players who maybe didn't get the, who definitely didn't get the uh, opportunity to actually develop or grow in the alternate training site time with coaches who can work with them on what the brewers find important to grow and benefit from. We know that a lot of these players got workouts and communicated with staff and were given instruction on how to improve. Uh, and we saw that some players benefited from that. Look at J- JP Fireeyes, and I think he looked like a better pitcher this year. It's, But not all players are the same, and that takes a lot of self-motivation. If you're a professional athlete, you generally have a lot of self-motivation, but uh, we know from the past there's athletes who need that coach yelling at them to actually perform that there's the athlete who always comes and they're 10 pounds over what their coach wanted them to be at um or they don't have the muscle or muscular definition their coach wanted and they come out of shape and they get lambasted in the media for being lazy because when they weren't under the watchful eye of the team they weren't going at their fullest i yeah. No. Go. Go ahead. I, I, well, so this is why I wanted to have this conversation because I, I don't, I don't know if people realize just like the the major implications on not having a minor league season and how the implications might not just be for this year. I mean, this is something that could impact teams for probably two or three years. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, when you're looking at the minor league draft or Rule Five draft and the way the players can get. Into the, I mean, look at how many fringe players in the last 10 years for the Brewers. Players who weren't ready when you expected them to be, but later became good contributors on the ball field. Look at how much, if they lost a year of control and the Brewers couldn't put them on their 40-man roster, they're with other organizations helping them. And, and that's what we're looking at as a farm system that is going to be high in or that is going to be exposed to this, especially with a bunch of younger players still rising through the ranks. And you bring up the indie ball, and look, I I worked two years in independent baseball. I am as big of a proponent of independent baseball as there is out there, but for the most part, it wasn't the top-level prospects that were being allowed to go play independent ball. And for, for the purpose of this conversation, I'm not trying to dismiss any of these 
late-round picks and guys who work real hard to work their way through the minor league system. But to be a really successful major league team, you need your your top-level draft choices to develop and be really good players at the major league level. And again, I don't I don't have the list in front of me of every you know, affiliated baseball player that played independent ball this year. But for the most part, we're not talking about these top level prospects who are doing that. Right. You're talking about uh, fringe players who show decent potential, but the odds of them making the major leagues are pretty low when push comes to shove. Yeah. A, A lot of teams, the Brewers included, did, I think, end up using the alternate site to develop their players more than they did really use it to prepare players for uh playing next you look at who ended up being on that alternate training site you're talking about bryce durang tristan lutz zach brown Corey ray uh ethan small eduardo garcia who is 18 uh hedbert perez who is 17 uh, Mario Feliciano, who's still 21, you're you're looking at uh, a lot of players who were way too young to really make an impact, and I think it ended up being almost all their top 20 prospects according to MLB Pipeline. So I think a lot of them just decided to kind of, if we're, we get an injury, we get an injury, it is what it is, and go more in the direction of using it for development for those top prospects in hopes that if you have a Hedbert Perez who's 17 playing against an Eric Lauer who is a major league baseball player, that's going to be enough experience for them to progress the or, and develop in the same way that they would have if he spent the year in the Dominican Summer League or Arizona Rookie League this year. I think that's their hope and that's what they're betting on and we won't really know that they were able to protect their top level talents until the next season comes along which we don't know when that will be because covid's not going away so far yeah so that Uh, that leads me right into this and uh, we don't need to get into like the business aspect of what's going on since the business of minor league baseball is changing where People who don't know, minor league baseball has been its own independent organization that basically had a contract to work with Major League Baseball. And Major League Baseball didn't like that, and they've changed it. And now minor league baseball is essentially going to come under the umbrella of Major League Baseball. The actual teams that are out there are still going to be owned by independent owners for the ones who already were. It's not like Major League Baseball is taking over these teams, but there's going to be a lot of contraction. There's a lot of... And there is, there's this other thing where like like the app the Appy League is going away, and it's going to be this summer collegiate league. There's going to be probably more uh, assimilation with some independent baseball, whether it's the American Association or the Frontier League, where some of these markets that have been affiliated minor league teams might get the opportunity to become independent teams again. We're this is just kind of a cursory talk of it, and we don't need to get into all this. But I say all that to say this. Based off what I've read this past week, while while I do think there's going to be Major League Baseball next year, I do think there's even going to be fans in the stands. What they're doing right now in the playoffs, I think, is is kind of a test run of even if the pandemic is is going at a somewhat strong rate, what they can do to have at least limited fans, and that's what I think they're going to go for. Um, 
there doesn't seem to be any motivation to attempt to play minor league baseball in a pandemic. And it seems like they're already preparing for possibly another year of no minor league baseball. I think we can both hope that that doesn't happen, but it, it it's certainly a possibility. Right. It's a very real possibility at this point uh, until we see legitimate progress that protects everyone involved. I think the MLB owning it maybe opens up the door to more reasonable financial loss, depending on who will be responsible for the operation of a baseball stadium and people actually going uh, and traveling where if there were no fans, we know that the owners of those minor league baseball teams right now rely on fans, marketing, things like that to uh, purchases of vending and, you know, at the game store, merchandise, all of that, a lot more than Major League Baseball does to make money. They, they need that income to pay their employees to make things work. I think with Major League Baseball operating things, you can maybe find a way to better accommodate those owners and allowing just the fields to run and operate just enough to get baseball being played on there. I, yeah, it, it, it is concerning because I don't think it's a priority. I think when you look at the draft being five rounds, you look at a lot of front offices wanted a larger draft than five rounds. Owners and baseball as an organization only won the five rounds. They got that agreement. They just went with it. And that's what it ended up being because obviously they don't really seem to care about the impact that that has on fans, communities, prospects who are developing, those random prospects who will hopefully have a chance to uh, to well exceed their expectations. It's I I don't see it as a priority of finding out a safe way to coordinate 200 minor league baseball teams. And hopefully we just progress enough as a country, um, as a globe, <laughs> the world, in uh, as a global society was what I was going for, uh, to actually fight this. And we do have baseball, but it's a very real possibility, as you said, with the business side that's going on, the complicate, that adding the complicated matters of the already incredibly sophisticated pandemic. I... I have no comprehension on what that could do to a lot of careers for some ball players. It just feels like Major League Baseball is um, is setting up not to have a minor league season to me. Now I'm I'm an amateur at at evaluating these things, so I could be totally off. But just as I attempt to read between the lines on everything that's being reported, I sit there and go, Do they even want to have a minor league season next year? Like that. That's my initial thought to everything. I think the only <laughs> I don't think the owners or MLBA really care. I don't think they're giving it too much thought and I think they see it probably as more of a nuisance if we're only looking off of the things that have already happened and using that to evaluate. If we're looking at the la- last year eliminating 40 teams strong arming through the CBA agreement with the minor league baseball um, and then also what they did in the draft. None of that really indicates to me that they have set minor league baseball 
or the development of prospects as a priority. And um, so the Brewers are one of the teams that were very much in favor of eliminating a number of minor league teams. And I, I always thought that was interesting because the Brewers as a team also have to be a – it's – how do I say this? Okay, so I I did not like it when they changed the draft rules. What was it? Five five to ten years ago. A lot of time I, I lose track of time. But when uh, when they changed the rules, where basically you couldn't you had, you had the you had the allotment and you couldn't go draft a kid in the tenth round and pay over slot money to try to get him to sign a guy who had signability issues. Like when you look at the Kansas City Royals making it to the World Series uh, those two years and winning one of them, it was largely because they as an organization took that approach where they they drafted a ton of guys with signability issues and paid them a boatload of money to sign. But a boatload of money to a kid with signability issues is a drop in the bucket compared to how much money you're spending in free agency. So I always feel like felt like the old system actually helped benefit teams that were in smaller markets because it gave them a way to spend less money and kind of with risk get some get a chance to get some higher end talent. So that's why, like to me, if you're a, I, I say all that to say this. I know I'm kind of on a tangent here. I always feel like if you're if you're a smaller market team, you almost have to hit on some of these guys who are not top level prospects. And when you've got less minor league teams, you've got less opportunities there for those kind of guys. So I, I don't even know what the question is. I say all that, and then I'll just shut up and let you talk. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, I know why they did that. It was because guys who wanted like absurd amounts of money or at one point you could actually sign players who to major league deals, which probably gets uh, Kyler Murray into baseball, right? Yeah. Like if you can sign Kyler Murray to a major league contract and he's making real money from the get go, Kyler Murray is probably a baseball player today instead of a football player. But I think the idea was the a lot of players would be like, no, I'm I'm not signing for less. Than, I'm not leaving for less than 12 million. And then pick 28 would come around and be like the Yankees and the Yankees would be like, yeah, we'll sign you. Uh, but really, all that seemed to impact was the first round. I don't think anyone really thought about anything besides for the aesthetic and the impact that had on the first round and what ended up happening to every round past that they just focused on what it looks like when the Yankees signed the best player in the first round, because that guy wanted an absurd amount of money and only New York could give it to him. Yeah. The, I, I appreciate what they're trying to do in terms of create a competitive market where it gives the worst teams, the best chance to sign the best players, but limiting the amount of money that these players can make seems incredibly unfair. We talked about that when they limited the amount you could sign an undrafted free agent to. You're you're punishing these kids over aesthetic, really, when we get down to it. Yeah. And I I understand what you're saying about the the first round pick signing for all this money, but I 
I still I, I would go back to what I said before, and I still think it has a larger impact on not being able to give teams the opportunity to gamble and sign guys with, with signability issues later in the draft. I think that was a lot more of a common occurrence than talking about these guys who just wanted an obscene amount of money out of the first round. Right. Y- yeah. It, but it's what did people see more? Like, I mean, in, in what happened more versus what people saw more. Like, what was visually present? And it was the first round. Yeah. So that ends up, what is visually present always ends up being the thing that impacts the decision-making for everything. Yeah, I want to argue with you. I really want to, like, on, on a basis of just what I believe, I want to argue with you. But I'm the guy who's always sitting here saying that optics matter. So you're right. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it, it was purely, I think, more trying to create a position where fa- – because here's the thing. When you look at it, like, okay, the Yankees or some big market team probably ends up getting Bryce Harper instead of the Nationals in, in the old system. And maybe it was the old system when Harper signed. But if another talent like that came around, it's generally like a, a team with a lot of money to spend. And the Nationals are a team with a good chunk of money to spend. When – but we know that for every Bryce Harper who's a can't miss prospect, there's eight more can't miss prospects who sucked. Yep. So <laughs> I guess the point is what does it matter? What does it matter if the Yankees get the best prospect when more often than not the best prospect flames out? Yeah, you still got to develop them. The, the, the developmental process is still an important thing. Yep. So. I mean, look at all the, in that era, all the success that the Brewers had in developing a team of superb hitters in, you know, not just Prince Fielder, Ryan Braun, or the four or five good years of Ricky Weeks, but the then subsequent hitters in Corey Hart, that J.J. Hardy, these other players who they ended up developing in that same time and were able to have a lot of more success. But now we're talking about past draft hypotheticals and success. So, uh, which is not something I think everyone wants to get me on a tangent on because I'll never shut up about the past draft strategy of the Brewers because I've spent way too many times pining over what could have been, what went right, what's gone wrong. Well, um, let's go non-Brewers here for just a second as we wrap things up. The, the Dodgers end up beating the Braves. We are. It is 10.58 p.m. as we're recording this. It literally just happened a moment ago that the game ended. So uh, the World Series is all set up. Do you have any initial thoughts on, on this World Series matchup? I am super bummed. I am very, very bummed because it is a one seed versus a one seed. <laughs> okay. And that means... Rob Manfred's stupid experiment worked in his eyes. In terms of the matchup, I love it. It's two great teams who I think are fun to watch. In terms of, but now I feel like it's that much more likely that 16 team playoffs becomes a thing of the future, and I don't want it. I think I don't four, want it one bit. I think it's 14. But then, don't you have to give someone a buy, or yeah. is it the play-in? No, I think you give the I think you give the um, the the number one seed a buy, 
And some people will argue, is that actually an advantage? Because then you're not playing for maybe four or five days. And I understand why that could certainly hurt you. But yeah, I think it's a, I think without a doubt, it's a, the, the system they're looking at. I don't think it's going to be eight teams. I, and Craig Council talked about this. This The current system doesn't give enough advantage to teams that say win the division. If you go to if you go to the seven-team playoff, you're able to give a first the, the, the top seed a bye, and then you can make sure that division winners have a little bit more of an advantage than they did this year. Uh, I just have always ragged on the NBA for having every damn team in the entire league on the playoff roster. I'm not saying it's good. Like I'm not. So, I'm not justifying I, it. I'm just saying what I expect it to be. I don't. Based off everything just, I've heard, I don't think they're going to stick with eight. I do think they're going to go to seven. I'm just vocalizing my frustration further, not arguing with anything you said. I think we're relatively on the same page. I'm not sure I consider seven better. We've seen when teams sweep the NLCS or ALCS and they have a long layoff that it can be pretty detrimental into how they play the first two games coming back to the World Series. I, I don't know. I don't want it. I don't want it. I, I know I don't want it, but I, I, I guess it's fine. I mean, I do like like the randomness. Like I like in football, I like that the best team entering the playoffs is sometimes the best team in the sport and ends up winning the championship. I like that, but even as a Brewers fan and all the opportunities that would have created for the Brewers to have more playoff experience or opportunities and perhaps have one world series. I don't think I would want that in the sport period. It just seems like nonsense to me. It just uh, five teams is already a little much from, I like the four, the wild card has been fun to watch. There's no doubt about it. You're trying to create something aesthetically pleasing. I guess it doesn't matter what I want. (laughs) I would argue that from, from NCAA tournament terms, we love it when on day one and day two of the NCAA tournament, Northern Iowa or Loyola or or whoever, like whatever mid-major you want to mention, wins. We love it. But when it gets down to the Elite Eight, when it gets to the Final Four, we want to see North Carolina. We want to see Duke. We want to see Michigan State. That's who we want to see. So I think at the end of the day, people, like, the upsets are fun, but when it comes to the time for to crown a champion, I still think people want to see the best teams going at it. Yeah. That'd be my take. Maybe I'm wrong. But I don't think I am. And on that note, that's how we're going to wrap things up. Thanks for doing this, Brad. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's nice to talk baseball. It is and good. I, I'm actually going to watch this World Series. <laughs> I am. Uh, and you know what? The the Rays are a smaller market team that don't, that don't spend a lot of money. So uh, the Brewers fans can root for that, right? Have hope. Yes. Uh, I uh, I was happy with any of the three outcomes. I think the Braves are a young – I think the Rays are easy to root for. The Braves are a young team that's very fun to watch. And I know the Dodgers are the villain to us because of the playoffs. But – most of the problem players that we ended up disliking are gone from that. And I would like Clayton Kershaw, who I think is a top tier pitcher of all time to get a ring before he retires. That's fair. That's fair. All right, Brad. Thank you. Thank you.
Brett Ford joining me here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. All right, uh, that's going to do it for uh, this week's program. Again, uh, we're going to be getting into the World Series. And uh, before we know it, the baseball season's going to be over. And shortly after the World Series ends, free agency opens. I think it's going to be a very, very quiet start to free agency before teams really start to figure out what they want to do, especially from a financial standpoint and uh, knowing what our world's going to look like and having a little bit more information is probably going to help guide some of these free agent decisions. But we'll start uh, digging in a little bit more to what things might look like for the Brewers here uh, moving forward in the next uh, few weeks at some point in time. Uh, As always, a reminder, Brewers Weekly does continue to uh, run Thursday nights, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock on WTMJ Streaming at WTMJ.com. I believe this Thursday is another presidential debate. I don't have the schedule in front of me right now, but I believe this Thursday is a scheduled presidential debate, assuming that it happens. Of course, this past week it did not happen, and we had Brewers Weekly, but if there is a presidential debate, I think we get bumped for that. But basically, we are around on Thursday nights from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, and hope you can tune in for that. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.